Today on Blue 58, we'll bid a fond farewell to Josh Jones before welcoming in a few new guys who are about to take one very late shot at making the Packers roster. Then we'll take our own last shot at predicting the final 53. Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast to thepowersweep.com. I am your host, John Meerdank. Happy to be with you here tonight or whenever you happen to be listening to this. Statistically, most people listen to this in the morning. So good morning to you uh, who are listening to it at that time of day. If you are listening to it at another time, well, just imagine the appropriate greeting for whenever time of day it is that you are listening. We've got a fair bit to cover today, so let's dive right into it. Starting with the most notable story of the last couple days, the Packers do what we were all thinking they were going to do for quite some time, and they release Josh Jones. No one's really surprised by this. Maybe a little bit disappointed that a trade couldn't be worked out. I was thinking about this, talking about it with a couple people, um, and I'm really going to try to avoid doing the, well, we got this for player X, why can't we get this for player Y? I think if you look at the history of trades in the Brian Gutekunst era so far, you really just have to take every trade on a case-by-case basis. They could trade Demarius Randall. They could trade Brett Hundley. They traded Lindsey Pipkins. They traded HaHa Clinton-Dix. They traded Ty Montgomery. They couldn't trade Josh Jones, and they couldn't trade Mike Daniels. We know that they were trying to do something with both of those guys. Well, we know for sure with Mike Daniels. I don't know if Brian Gutekunst ever confirmed that he was trying to trade Josh Jones. Presumably they were. Why not? Uh, you'd have to think he was he was at least available for trade if someone else was interested. I think just looking at that in total, though, it shows me that there's really not a lot of rhyme or reason to who gets traded and who doesn't. Demarius Randall for Deshaun Kaiser is is kind of a head scratcher at the time, and it looks even weirder now, considering that Randall is still a useful NFL player and Kaiser is not super useful at all. And, you know, it gets weird from there. How did they get something for Ty Montgomery when it was clear for all the world that he was not going to be long in Green Bay? Sure, they didn't get much for him, a seventh-round pick the next year in the draft, so a 2020 draft pick. That's about as little as you can possibly give up in a trade, but it's 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 more than nothing. Same with Brett Hundley, although the fact that he's a quarterback probably plays into that a little bit too. But I think you you see pretty quickly that we have to look at each of these individually and add our own caveats to each and every one of them before evaluating the whole thing. A couple thoughts on the whole Josh Jones situation as a whole, though. First and foremost, I don't break out the B word very often, but yeah, it seems like he was a bust. He had plenty of opportunity in Green Bay. He played 731 snaps as a rookie. He played another 500 snaps in 2018. He could never really lock down a role. Only 96 solo tackles, three sacks, and an interception to show for his two years in Green Bay. You've also got the fact that Juju Smith-Schuster and Alvin Kamara were taken shortly after Josh Jones. That certainly makes things worse. However, I would uh, circle back to my two-part evaluation of decisions again. We have to evaluate the outcome as well as the process. So the outcome is the Packers ended up with a guy who's who's a bust as a player in the NFL. That's That happens. That happens to every team in the NFL. The process, and, and that is a bad outcome, so you can knock the Packers for that outcome. That That's fair. Uh, bad outcomes happen. You hope they don't happen in the second round, but they, they did to the Packers, and you can criticize them for that. That's fair. The process, I think, is where we have to come to point number two, because let's not pretend that drafting Josh Jones in the second round was some sort of indefensible idea. Think back to 2016. That was the run the table year, but it was ugly for a lot of that year, and it ended ugly too, primarily because of the defense. That year, the Packers were 31st in passing yards, 29th in passing touchdowns allowed. 
their 2016 playoff run ended giving up 302 yards and three touchdowns to Dak Prescott in a win, then giving up 392 yards and four touchdowns to Matt Ryan in the, in the famous 44-21 to loss or whatever ended up being, 44-27 or I don't know. The, the, the Packers score didn't matter because that game was out of hand so quickly because they couldn't stop the pass that it really didn't matter. They could have put up whatever number they wanted if you're Atlanta. Remember also the Packers' defensive lineup in 2016. You've got a regressing Demarius Randall, a regressing Quentin Rollins. You've got a concussed Sam Shields. It's not clear if or when he'll ever play again. You've got Ladarius Gunter being Ladarius Gunter. At safety, you've got HaHa Clinton Dix, who by this point, it's pretty clear we're not sure what he is as a player anymore. You've got an aging Morgan Burnett, and you've got Micah Hyde, who's gone after the 2016 season. If you've already decided that you're not going to re-sign Micah Hyde, why wouldn't you add a guy with the athletic profile of a Josh Jones in the draft if you've got the chance? Especially if you've already traded back into the second round, and you've got essentially an extra pick there that that you've already used on Kevin King. I, I, I think the decision is at least defensible. It didn't work out, but it, it makes sense. You can see what they were thinking. Third, and this is not so much about Josh Jones, but I think it's interesting to see the parallels between Jones and Montrevious Adams. Both defensive picks in the 2017 draft, and both have had bumps in their NFL journey so far. It's been pretty interesting, though, this year to see how Montrevious Adams has been described by Mike Pettin. Patton pretty clearly saying, you know, I wasn't a big Montrevious Adams guy last year. I thought he was kind of lazy. I thought he didn't work super hard. Well, Adams has responded, and he's won a big spot in the Packers' defensive line rotation, such that they felt pretty comfortable releasing Mike Daniels. It looks like he figures to play a big role in 2019. Josh Jones is in a very similar situation. He came in at the same level as Montrevious Adams, a a second-year guy coming in under a new defensive coordinator. But he didn't really want to play the role the Packers had in mind for him. He couldn't get it done when he was out there in other roles. And now he's out of Green Bay, potentially out of the league, because it seems like nobody's wanted him so far. It's it's interesting to see how different guys have responded in essentially the same situation. And uh, hopefully Adams uh, turns out to be a much better player than Jones ultimately was in Green Bay. Hard to be much worse at this point. We've also got some new guys to talk about. The Packers once again put in another waiver claim that didn't pan out, having to waive another guy due to injury, but they did add three players to their roster over the past couple days. Let's talk about James Fulton, Jacquez Kalili, and Jackson Porter. Uh, first, uh, Fulston, a linebacker out of Pitt. 6'3", mid-230s, uh, was listed at, as high as 240 at Pitt. He's an interesting prospect in just that he is super unique in the things that he's done in his background. He's done a, he did a little bit of everything at Pitt, though he was officially listed as a defensive end. If you look at the scouts, what they wrote about him in the spring, nobody seemed to know exactly what to think of him. There, there were people who listed him as a defensive lineman, as an edge prospect, an off-the-ball outside linebacker, an inside linebacker, a safety. Part of that is due to his size. Part of that is due to his athleticism. He tested pretty well at Pitt's Pro Day. It looks like he's going to be a linebacker with the Packers. We'll see exactly what sort if he gets into this uh, this final preseason game at all. Kalili, a cornerback out of UNLV, 5'10", 186, ran in the 4'3", to 4'4", range at his Pro Day, which is really the story there. He's, he's athletic. Um, and he's a fairly good-sized body. He's uh, on the smaller side among corners, but not not super, super small either. So, you know, he's got some good physical dimensions there too. 
He played, interestingly enough, two years at Mesa Community College, the same school that produced Demarius Randall, before he moved on to Arizona State. Finally, Jackson Porter, another cornerback out of Massachusetts. He's significantly bigger than Kalili, 6-0-205, got to like that size there. Signed with the Ravens as an undrafted free agent last spring, but was cut after training camp. He ends up in Green Bay, you have to think in part due to the Milt Hendrickson connection, the former personnel exec who, or the former Baltimore personnel exec who now works in Green Bay. Porter, not a ton of distinguishing stuff in his playing career, which is kind of the, the case for all of these guys. If there was, they would have been on an NFL roster before now in some sort of significant capacity. Porter was uh, an honor roll student dating back to high school, uh, a record sprinter in a variety of races when he left school, and also volunteered as a camp counselor and with Meals on Wheels. None of that does anything for you as far as football, but I think it's just interesting to know a little bit extra about these guys sometimes. The real big question, though, is can any of these guys actually make the roster? Here it is as I record this, August 27th. We're two days away from the Packers' final preseason game. We're five days away from cutdown day. The smart money says no, these guys aren't going to make the roster, and they may not even really have a shot at making the roster. Incidentally, most of the dumb money also says no. Uh, The smart money and dumb money kind of aligned on this one. It's just a long shot if you're going to make a roster and you're joining a team uh, three or four days from the end of August. However, I think it's fair to point out a couple things. James Crawford signed on August 8th last year and ended up making the team. Now, that's a heck of a lot earlier than August 27th, but it's still pretty late in the game, too. If they show up and show out on special teams, who knows? You never know. And a couple injuries happen in this final preseason games. Maybe maybe a spot opens up for you. Secondly, though, signing these guys now is like having an extra week with them, like on the practice squad. Consider it like an extended interview. The guys can the Packers can get these guys in for a little extra practice, get an in-person look at them, see if they might fit in somewhere down the road. I guess think of this as like one of those top 30 visits before the NFL draft. You look at it as the Packers identifying guys that they're interested in who may come in handy later on. Let's get to the the real meat of the podcast here. Final roster prediction. The second one we've done. The first one kind of just a lark. I guess you could really say this is the third one because we did one way back in in the springtime, uh, pointing out that there, most of the roster spots were, were locked up at that point. And I think that is still largely true. Most of what we predicted way back in the day is is largely holding true now. The starting offensive line is still intact. The wide receiver core is is all but locked up. The running back group is essentially uh, unchanged. You added one one new face in there in Dexter Williams, and he's, he's facing off with Trey Carson. You've got a defensive line, a linebacker group, uh, inside linebackers, not largely changed. The, the starting groups are not super different. And of course, the specialist, um, even with uh, Sam Ficken in town, are probably not going to look super different than they did way back even before the draft. There are a couple of things that are hard to figure out about this particular roster. For starters, I think there's going to be an injured reserve surprise somewhere. And it's not going to be a huge surprise, but it's hard to figure out exactly where and how many. I think wide receiver, it's still fair to wonder whether Equinemius St. Brown ends up on injured reserve either before or after the cutdown deadline. Same with Curtis Bolton on uh, among the linebackers. It's possible that he ends up on injured reserve. It's hard to take that into consideration when you're coming up with a roster prediction. Then you got to wonder if somebody's going to come in from another team. I think you're looking at linebacker, running back, cornerbacker, safety as potential options there. Some of those questions beset by injury. Others, like uh, running back, you're just not sure what you've got behind Jamal or behind Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams. 
you like some things from Trey Carson, you like some things from Dexter Williams, but maybe somebody gets uh, released that you like just a little bit more. Finally, this is a prediction as best as I can of what I think the Packers are going to do, not what I would do. I think that's a, a real easy hole to fall into if you're doing one of these roster predictions, and I, I think everybody should. It's fun. It's a, it helps you think through the roster and what the what decisions the Packers are making, but you have to keep in mind you need to try to predict what the Packers are going to do, not what you would do. What I would do would be different in some of these situations. For instance, wide receiver. I think I would just tend to roll with uh, with Adams, Allison, Valdez, Scantling, Kumaro, uh, Shepard, and Lazard. I think you just move on from Trevor Davis. I think the Packers are probably going to keep him around, but we'll get to that position group when we get there. Remember, it's about what you think the Packers are going to do, not what you would do. Quarterback. Let's start at the top. Quarterback, I think the Packers are going to be down to two, and I think it's going to be Aaron Rodgers and Tim Boyle. And here's why. Um, I think if the Packers had their druthers, they would cut both Boyle and Kaiser and try to find somebody who fit in just a little bit better than both of those guys. But I don't think they're going to be super comfortable cutting them both and going into the regular season, especially on uh, on a relatively short week um, with just, well, just some new guys who have not been in the system before. I think they want to keep one guy around who knows the system behind Aaron Rodgers, or at least is, is somewhat familiar with it because, um, you know, with Matt LaFleur being a new head coach, there's not going to be a ton of guys out there who have a lot of familiarity with his system. I think it's going to be Boyle because he seems like a guy who's, who's more capable of winning or keeping things stable in one game. So say Aaron Rodgers goes down, Boyle might be the guy who can come in more than Kaiser and keep the Packers afloat for one game. I'm still of the opinion that counting on a backup to save your season is a fool's errand just because it's happened a couple times in relatively recent NFL history does not mean it's a good roster construction strategy or something you can even reasonably hope for. I just think Deshaun Kaiser's lows have been too low. His highs have been too infrequent. And that's why Tim Boyle gets my pick ahead of, uh, of, of Kaiser. Running back, I currently have Trey Carson ahead of... Um, Dexter Williams. So I've got Aaron Jones, Jamal Williams, Carson, and Danny Vitale. So four backs all together. Carson seems to have uh, the favor of the coaching staff, um, and I'm not entirely sure I understand why. Uh, The things that he does well and has been praised for doing well more than Williams, pass protection, catching the ball out out of the backfield, stuff like that, seems like skills that you can learn. He doesn't have the same burst or running ability that Dexter Williams has, and it doesn't seem like that's something he is likely to become better at. It makes me a little bit leery of keeping a guy just because he could do some things you need him to do infrequently. Given how they use Danny Vitale in practice and in some games, it seems like uh, he would be able to fill the role that they're they're preparing for Trey Carson with those same sort of skills. He can catch the ball out of, back, out of the backfield. He can block pretty well, at least for a back. Why not just roll with the guy who can actually run the ball since that's what you're looking to get done with your running backs in this offense? Anyway, the tight end group, I've got no change here. Four tight ends, Jimmy Graham, Robert Tanyan, Mercedes Lewis, and Jace Sternberger. As many snaps as Evan Bayless has been getting, I don't think there's any reason to assume he's going to unseat anybody there. Probably headed back to the practice squad there. Wide receiver. I think Equinemius St. Brown ultimately ends up on injured reserve to start the season. That leaves you with a wide receiver group of Devontae Adams, Geronimo Allison, Marquez Valdez-Scantling, Jake Kumaro, Trevor Davis, and Darius Shepard. I don't know how you cut Davis at this point. He seems to have done everything anybody could have asked him for. 
Um, although I think if you're going to keep uh, sort of a smallish, speedy wide receiver, why not just keep one of the two between Davis and Shepard and bring Lazard along because he's got some physical attributes that are hard to duplicate. I think you can more easily find another Trevor Davis or Darius Shepard than you can another Alan Lazard. I don't think that's what the Packers are going to do, though. I think they're still going to go with familiarity, even if it may not be the right choice. Uh, that's your six there. Now, if St. Brown doesn't end up on injured reserve, I'm not sure what the Packers do. Um, because if it comes down to picking one of the three between Davis, Shepard, and Lazard, I'm not quite sure what you do. If it was me picking from among those three, it would be hard to go away from Shepard just because of his youth. Um, he seems a little less injury prone than Trevor Davis. And he's just seemed to be more productive than Lazard, although I'd, it would be a hard cut and I, w- I would have a hard time uh, making that decision if it was my team. I, I would hope, well, you never hope for an injury, but I would hope there would be some sort of other factor. Maybe somebody makes you an offer you can't refuse for one of your lower level receivers and you, and you move on from there and you can just end up keeping all of the guys that you like or, or getting some compensation so you don't necessarily have to keep one. Incidentally, I threw out this question on Twitter earlier today. Um, Posing it this way, there are a lot of considerations out there, but if it comes down to picking two of these three wide receivers, who do you keep? Trevor Davis, Darius Shepard, or Alan Lazard? Interestingly, in a runaway vote, uh, it's Davis and Shepard collecting 69% of the vote from the 158 people who have responded as far as this recording, or so far as this recording, at the point of this recording. You know what I'm trying to say. Uh, The next closest group was uh, Shepard and Lazard with just 20%, and then Davis and Lazard with just 11%. So the people who read me on the internet apparently uh, think it's going to be Davis and Shepard. Take that for whatever it's worth. Offensive line. Uh, I think the backups can get a little bit complicated here. I think there's also a danger of overthinking it a little bit. As nice a story as it would be to have Cole Madison make the roster after being out of football for a year, I'm not sure he can unseat either Justin McRae or Lucas Patrick at this point. I like that uh, McRae has added backup center to sort of his uh, his repertoire. He seems to be relatively comfortable doing that there. And I like uh, Lucas Patrick's kind of intensity. I think that's something that's good to have around on the offensive line. All told, I'm keeping nine here. The starting five that you can probably predict, Bakhtiari, Taylor, Lindsley, Turner, Bulaga, and then McRae and Patrick, along with Elton Jenkins and Alex Light. I'd be a little bit concerned about my tackle depth there. The Packers do not seem to share that concern. Flipping over to defense, uh, the defensive line is pretty straightforward. It's Kenny Clark, Dean Lowry, Montrevious Adams, Tyler Lancaster, and Kingsley Kiki. Uh, it's five guys, pretty straightforward. I also think the Packers are going to end up keeping five Outside linebackers or edge rushers, the top three, pretty easy to predict. Zadarius Smith, Preston Smith, and Rashawn Gary. Beyond that, I think they will end up keeping both Kyler Fackrell and Reggie Gilbert. If it's me, I probably move on at this point. Those are going to be project players anyway, and the way the Packers have been rotating in their outside linebackers, they're using them more almost like to stand up defensive linemen anyway, so why not go with the bigger bodied guys that you have? Maybe a guy like Randy Ramsey. We talked about him fairly extensively last week. So, Five outside linebackers, edge types, whatever. Inside linebacker, again, gets a little bit tricky. We got a little bit more clarity the last couple days with Oren Burke saying he's not going to need safety on his pectoral injury. 
So I think the Packers end up keeping four. Blake Martinez, Oren Burks, Curtis Bolton, and Ty Summers. I'm giving Bolton the edge over James Crawford on the assumption that he is going to be healthy enough to go at the start of the regular season. If he's not, if he ends up at injured reserve and they try to bring him back at some point this year, I think it's Crawford, unless one of these guys really shows up in a big way. I really don't think it's going to be James Fulston making a late, late, late run at the roster here, but you never know. It would be some kind of cruel irony for James Crawford, though, to be unseated by a guy who took basically an even shorter route through training camp than he did last year. Cornerback, seven guys here. This doesn't feel right because I think if the Packers had their their uh, their preference, they'd probably keep five safeties over seven cornerbacks. But that gets a little bit tricky with their injury situation there with Ibrahim Campbell. It's not really clear how ready he's going to be at the start of the season. The pump list may be where he's end up. Currently, I have both Chandon Sullivan and Kadar Holman making it as my sixth and seventh corners. Beyond that, it's Jair Alexander, Kevin King, Josh Jackson, Tremont Williams, Tony Brown. That's your group. I don't think there are a lot of surprises there. That top five especially seems relatively well established. The only question is whether or not Kevin King can stay healthy. So far, the answer is no, uh, but he's going to be on the roster regardless. Moving on to safeties, the top end, not super difficult to predict here. Four of them on the roster for me right now, although that could get a little bit complicated with, uh, with Campbell. I have him starting the season on the pup list. Don't have any evidence for that. That just seems to be where it's pointed. Adrian Amos, Darnell Savage, your starters. Raven Green, your top guy off the bench. And then Natrell Jamerson, who has been one of the busiest players on the defense this preseason so far. Through three preseason games, he's played 132 snaps, third most among defensive players. Gotta like his chances to make the roster. Then among the specialists, J.K. Scott, Hunter Bradley, and Mason Crosby. Early on, I predicted it was going to be Ficken over Crosby. That was just because Ficken had practiced and Crosby had not. We didn't know how long Crosby's injury was going to linger. Now that he is back, I think it's going to be him, though I'm not sure that is necessarily the best choice either. Um, If it was me, I might have worked a little bit harder to find a replacement option there because Ficken didn't seem like a super serious challenger to Crosby. How serious, we're never really going to know, but it didn't seem like uh, the Packers were super committed Uh, to moving on from Crosby. Otherwise, they might have brought in more kickers than just Ficken. So there's your 53. Am I right? Am I wrong? Who knows? We'll find out here in the the next few days. Here's what you can expect for us over the next couple days. Friday morning at some point, uh, we will try to get a podcast to you. Uh, I will be on the road in the great state of Wisconsin. I will actually be watching the game uh, with my family in Wisconsin, so that'll be fun. Uh, it'll be it'll be the new co-host first trip to Wisconsin, so that'll be exciting for him as well. After that, we'll look at a preview sometime Monday or Tuesday, along with a reaction uh, from the cutdown weekend. Uh, we'll probably bring Gary along for that as well, so look for that from the Power Sweep coming up very soon. I will just add, uh, as we're doing the shorter outros here, give us a look on Patreon. Throw a buck a month our way. That gets you access to our new... Um, Patreon exclusive podcast, so a little bit of bonus content there. You're not missing out on anything from the from the normal feed. It's just extra stuff, uh, extra stuff that we do exclusively for that. So we'll never paywall something like if we do an interview with somebody, we're not going to do that. You may hear an extended interview or something on Patreon, but everybody will always have access to the main content. The Patreon stuff is just a bonus for the people who choose to support us there. If you like what you've heard here and really want to help us uh, support this and, and keep it going, offset some of our hosting costs, they are they're significant. Uh, it's not cheap to, to run this. Uh, it's not like a... I don't know, buck a week hobby or something like that. 
um, it, it does get pricey in some aspects. So uh, any support that you can throw our way would be would be helpful. And uh, it, it shows us that you value what we do. And that means a lot as well. So check out patreon.com slash the power sweep for your opportunity to support. Maybe we can invest in a little bit of insect repellent and, and get the cicadas out of my yard, though they should be gone here before too long. Uh, they're done mating and maybe they'll die off here as we head deeper into the fall. That's all I've got for you on this episode. Do check us out on Facebook, on Twitter, on Patreon, wherever we have told you previously you can find us. We will still be there and never hesitate to reach out because any feedback, any thoughts, any questions you have just makes this entire operation better and helps us further our mission of helping everybody become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.